The questions you should always be asking yourself is, how does this maximize impact? From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different. Sharing stories of certified B Corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. Full transparency, I'm a big fan of Arbon and have been since 2016. Most of my days start with some Arbon protein powder and a smoothie. By the afternoon, I'm tearing into some fizz to power through the end of my day. In the hygiene department, I love their three-in-one charcoal face hair and body wash and their shaving cream. So I was over the moon excited when they certified as a B Corp in 2019. For those not familiar with Arbonne, they are an international health and wellness brand. All their products are vegan, cruelty-free, and formulated gluten-free. They also have a foundation to support mental well-being in youth around the globe. In this episode, I share with you a conversation I had with Andrea Chase. Andrea is a fellow B Corp enthusiast, the executive director of B Local Los Angeles, and the director of corporate responsibility and social impact at Arbonne. She answers all my questions about Arbonne and their B Corp certification process, while also sharing some sustainability tips for other businesses. Also, we're adding a new segment to the end of every Responsibly Different episode, where I'll expand upon an issue that the guest touches on with several ways for you to take action and have a direct impact. Be sure to listen through the end to hear this new segment, Level Up. And let us know what you think. And if you have suggestions for other action steps people can take, we'll add them into the show notes to increase everyone's impact. Time to dive on in with Andrea Chase. To get started, uh, you're actually the first direct sales model B Corp we've had on the show. And I'm curious, how does having a direct sales distribution model kind of impact your B Corp certification? This is such an interesting question, one that I am going to actually follow up with a question to you, which is, did you know that there are over 72 versions of the B Impact Assessment or the Business Impact Assessment out there in the world? I did not know that. I knew there were a lot of variations, but I did not know there were 72. That's incredible. Yeah. And and I would be behooved if B-Lab probably did not advance on that number, but I know that was a number from the past. So it's 72 plus as of today, I would say. And the reason why I mention this is because as all companies go through the assessment, we see a very specific set of questions that are customized to our business based off of the number of our workers, the geography of our locations, the nature of our business, You know, whether we're manufacturing or service-based and so on. So it's really important to note that, you know, there are so many other qualifiers when becoming a B Corp and going through the process that are way more important than how we go to market. So there isn't to say that there wasn't any scrutiny for our certification as there is with any of these types of audits, to say the least, which I think is a really good thing because as a longtime certifier of B Corps and a B local leader for a number of years now, you know, something that we've always talked about within the B Corp community is how do we ensure that as this movement grows, as this movement for business as a force for good grows and expands, how do we make sure we do it with integrity? And so scrutinizing larger organizations, especially multinationals like Arbon, um, throughout the certification process is a really important part of those checks and balances. So I don't think that there was anything too different about our model of distribution, but all of those other things really indicated our track for the assessment, how we would complete it. And then, of course, the larger scrutiny that we had as a larger organization going through this for the first time which was really interesting because, you know, once we passed auditing, B-Lab was so excited to have us on board. It was such a wonderful welcome wagon where we were all really excited to share out this messaging through our 500,000 plus consultants worldwide. And I think they saw this as an opportunity to really help advance sharing this mission, spreading this message and bringing it to life through so many more people. So just like we saw B Corp as an opportunity to really benchmark our own organization, do better, understand how we were bringing our mission to life. They saw us as an advocate for change and an ability to really grow the community as well. That is so cool. That is really, really neat. And, and I'm, I'm so curious, something that you mentioned when, when b- before we kind of uh, hopped on was you mentioned you've kind of dedicated your life to B Corp. 
I'm so curious, how did you get involved with B Corp and, and kind of make it your life's work? Yeah, yeah. So it's been a journey as life is in general. That's kind of my saying. So I'll probably say it a few more times throughout the podcast. Um, but it was something that, you know, I've always been really an ecologically minded person. Nature is just something that I was always um, drawn to as a child, whether it was like collecting rocks and geology, which I have a very robust rock collection because I am a total nature nerd, um, or other things like that, that kind of always followed me through life. And then when I got through college, I studied communications and art, which is not exactly what you think would be the background for this role, to say the least. But as I transitioned into marketing and communications, I was always drawn to the sustainability side of things and the systems thinking. And if this happens, what happens from that and the ripple effect of things? And so I continually got drawn into sustainability in the sustainability world. Um, and as that happened, I worked for a company that wanted to become a certified B Corp back in 2013 when the movement only had 700 companies at the time. So it was, you know, it was new, but it was fairly new at the time. And it was just this mind blowing experience going through the assessment for the first time, seeing all the questions. And it dawned on me at the time that I never wanted to work for an organization that didn't value these things. I never wanted to spend my time working on projects that didn't help make a positive impact for at least some sort of stakeholder in the world. And so as that happened, you know, B-Lab kind of started uh, facilitating the locals and other things like that. And they actually identified me as a leader in the area that they would want to bring this to life and to help build community. So at the time I was nominated by the community um, manager at B-Lab to be the lead of Be Local LA. And that was just an incredible opportunity to meet all of these CEOs re who really believed in the mission of redefining success in business around stakeholder welfare. So I feel like I just got so lucky and had such a privilege to be able to interact with these people, learn from them firsthand, learn about their businesses, what they do. And then one thing became, you know, led to another. And eventually I decided I didn't want to do product directing, uh, marketing directing. And so I started my own sustainability consulting firm because I had done a ton of, of work around sustainability, product development, marketing, storytelling, websites, um, life cycle analysis, you name it. If it had sustainability involved, I was like, get me in there, please. So it was so interesting. And then at that time, I really just started certifying companies. Um, and I've certified or recertified eight businesses now over the last eight years which is really cool um, to see how it works across all these different models and all these different industries and to see that come to life and, and different geographies as well. So I, I really, I, the reason why I came to Arbonne was because of the ability to create such an incredible incremental impact. You know, I was doing my consulting. I'm an educator on the topic. I am a guest professor for Pepperdine and UCLA and a lot of other local um, organizations in Southern California where I live. But Arbonne represented this next step in being able to educate masses, inspire different living lifestyles. How do you adopt sustainability? How do you build a stronger world? How do you bring missions to life on a next level? And given that I had never done a certification for a multinational before, this was really, really exciting for me because this is the future. We want to see big players getting involved in this. This is the change that we need as consumers. So we have better choices that we can actually choose things that are making a positive difference in the world. And it just it just seemed like such a beautiful fit. And I have to say, after almost, oh, my gosh, it's been a year and a half now that I've been here. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, I could not be happier. It's just such a wonderful organization to work for. And our owner organization is absolutely incredible as well. They're called Group Rocher. They're out of France. They're actually the first ever mission-driven business under French law, which is really cool too. So to see all of these different layers come together and to be able to work on all these projects and really continue to advance B Corp is just something I absolutely love. It lights me up every day. And I think this is the way that businesses should be. Absolutely. And I'm curious, so for consultants that might be listening, you know, knowing that you have an ed, uh, this background in educating people and, and bringing them along on this B Corp journey, when they're out in the world talking about Arbonne, talking about the importance of B Corp, what advice do you have for them in terms of educating others? Or how would you how would you advise someone else on how to explain B Corps? Well, I think the first rule with any conversation you have is who are you talking to? Like, what are they interested in, right? So you have to understand that. 
And one of the coolest things about society as a whole right now is that conscious consumerism is no longer a hot topic. I think it's here to stay. All these trends around post-COVID market research are showing that sustainable lifestyles are now the new norm and consumers are, are demanding this. So it's really cool because we have, you know, in the world, this primed audience who wants to do better and wants to be educated. And we have the opportunity to have that conversation and as a, you know, originator in the clean beauty space, as a company dedicated to some really arduous sustainability goals, and as a certified B Corp, they should be absolutely confident that we are doing everything that we can to bring our mission to life and to make their lives easier in the sense that this is easy to sell to people who care about it. So connect with them, talk to them, talk about our goals and talk about our we're doing and the impact we've made um, so far and what our vision for the future is. And speaking of consultants, how are consultants classified in relationship to the B Impact Assessment? Are they workers or is it something else entirely? You know, it's, it really falls within the worker section as employees are for dedicated internal employees. And we have such a lovely relationship with consultants and the fact that, you know, they are our partners and, and our customers in a lot of ways where we develop things for them. We're in existence for them. And so they really fall without outside of that worker category. That's really cool. Uh, and, and for folks who are listening and maybe new to the Arbonne brand, uh, can you share with us a little bit about what makes Arbonne unique, especially in this direct uh, marketing space? Of course, of course. So, you know, the first thing is like, we, we really just have an incredibly strong brand with a really long legacy. We are the clean plant-based ingredient beauty originators. We were founded over 41 years ago with this mission to bring pure, safe, and beneficial skin and body care products to consumers that would help protect their health and well-being. And now that seems very um, not revolutionary, but 41 years ago, that was a completely revolutionary thing for America, especially to say the least. And so it really was well before the you know clean beauty became a trend. And and because of that reason, it's a legacy I'm just so personally extremely proud of. Now, fast forward a few years to today, you know, we've said, since expanded our products to include a nutrition portfolio. We've evolved our mission and, of course, the structure of our organization as well. We've, we're now a public benefit corporation, which is really cool, um, to focus on empowering people and to flourish through sustainable, healthy living and looking at the holistic approach to health. Um, which is really wonderful. So we partner with these experts to co-develop efficacious and clinically tested formulas. And this really reaffirms our commitment to safety and maximizing positive impact for all of our customers. And one of the coolest parts about this mission is that as an organization, we're devoted to healthy living inside and out. Our philosophy is embracing this connection between a healthier mind, a stronger body, more beautiful skin, and the interconnection between all of those three things. So it's this truly holistic approach to healthy living, which means creating clean, responsibly sourced products that can be consumed or applied. And we take that so much further in terms of these categories that, you know, skincare, makeup, nutrition that you wouldn't necessarily think go together, but they do. They all feed into each other into this active ecosystem that determines your health and what you're putting on you. Your skin is your largest organism. You are absorbing things through it. It's important you understand what's in those things. Same with what you're consuming. And so all of these can come together as sets for our customers to really make sure that they're achieving their healthy living goals without sacrificing their values, which I think is the coolest thing about it because it's truly looking at the whole person instead of just a part, which means that, you know, when you look at just one part of something, you're not going to make a change. It's just putting a Band-Aid on a problem. It's not going to solve anything. So it gives us that extra opportunity to really make sure that we're doing the right thing for our customers. And then second, and of course, certainly not least, is that our healthy living lifestyle and entrepreneurial business opportunity can really help foster a positive mindset that helps build people up, that helps build communities up and really empowers them to flourish. I I had no idea until I started working here how absolutely incredible our community of consultants are. They are so supportive of each other. They're so motivated, so entrepreneurial. Um and inspiring personally, quite frankly. And they're so aligned with our mission, which is really cool because you have these advocates for change who want to do better in the world out there on, you know, side by side with you on the lines to make this difference. And so it's just been such a cool part of the experience at Arbonne because they're instrumental in the success of our brand and advancing our mission. And it's really nice to have a partner out there, lots of them out there to help bring that to life. That's so cool. And, and something I, I heard you say is that you're a public 
benefit corporation. I'm so curious, how does that work as like a multinational, right? Because I know B Labs, in some cases, depending on what state you're in, if there's benefit corporation legislation, then you have to be a benefit corporation. But where you're not just in a single state, but multiple states, also multiple nations, I'm so curious, how does that work? What does that look like? Yeah. And this is where, you know, that whole certification process for B corporations gets a lot more complicated as you get into larger organizations that span across the world and different geographies. And as a public benefit corporation, that way that we've gone about it to really make it the most effective so that that is the rule of law at the very top of our organization that can trickle down into everything below is that all of our subsidiaries actually roll up into this PBC. And so every single subsidiary of Arbonne, no matter what location we're in or what part of the business, if it's a manufacturing arm or, you know, our headquarter office in California, everyone falls within this larger umbrella, which means that we are all responsible for bringing these things to life. And I think that's the way to really make sure it happens in one fell swoop when you're in such a complicated, um, you know, organizational environment. That's awesome. And something else that I think is really interesting about that, that I, I, which, which was super alarming about just some of the products that are in our American food that in Europe are, are banned. I, I can't remember the number, but it's like some thousand odd number of ingredients aren't allowed in food in, uh, in the EU. Uh, and, and you, and yet you all sell in the EU. So you have to follow the same standards. How, how, how does that kind of, can you speak to that a little bit and, and, maybe share a little more insight on that. Yeah. And I think this really touches on the legacy of our organization and actually the, the impetus of why we were formed, right? Because our founder is, was European. He came to America and was just so deeply disturbed by the phthalates, parabens, all of these other things that weren't being monitored to protect consumers, which as an American and, and early on in my career, this was something through research that I learned that was really disturbing where you kind of come to the understanding that, you know, we're not as protected as we think we are. And there's all of these things hiding in our products, in our packaging, in our ingredients. And so he he founded the organization saying that this is absolutely unacceptable. People should be holding themselves to a higher quality standard, the government should be holding, you know, entities to a higher quality standard to make sure that what we're doing is proven safe, not not proven bad. You know what I mean? So that's the way that we kind of look at things in America is if you can prove that it's bad for you, you can't use it. Not that you should prove that it's safe for you, which is really backwards. Um, and Europe has it has it switched around, which is why when we were looking at, you know, our not allowed list, all of these other things, which pull out all of those ingredients and make it our ingredient policy, which was the foundation of our organization, that all of that stuff was taken out. So those 1400 plus ingredients and, and you know, formulas and all of those other things that you had mentioned that are banned are just part of us. We've actually gone above and beyond and banned a few hundred more just because we're like, this is, this is too close for comfort. There's no way just because it hasn't been tested bad for you doesn't mean that we should be allowing this. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's super real. Uh, you know, in, in addition to all of the amazing uh, stuff that you all are doing in, in the kind of health and, and beauty space, you also are giving back. Can you share with us a bit about the Flourish Arbonne Foundation? Yeah, of course. So the Flourish Arbonne Foundation is our nonprofit arm of our entity. Um, it has the mission to build resilience in the minds of future generations. And it really came to be an evolution of this organization over the years. And at the end of 2019, you know, we went through a complete rebranding of this. We really redefined the mission. We looked at our giving strategy for the future and the vision for the future with the intention to maximize our impact globally, because that's always as a purpose driven organization, as a nonprofit, the questions you should always be asking yourself is how does this maximize impact? Is this going to give us the results that we want? Um, and through that, you know, that looking at our our foundation a little bit differently through a new lens, you know, we came up with the purpose of building resilience in the minds of future generations because we saw it as a really unique alignment with the mission of sustainable, healthy living. Mental health is such an important part of that puzzle of healthy living. And so it really fit in well with us. And, you know, little did we know at the time that this global pandemic was just around the corner. And as the pandemic ensued, it became even more apparent to us how crucial our mission is now than ever before. And, you know, over the last we, we launched the new mission in 2019 
And since then, we've done so much with it, and it couldn't have come at a better time. In 2020, we launched new strategic partnerships with foundations um, in each of the countries that we operate in. And through these, we were able to make a greater impact. We granted $100,000 to Active Minds, a wonderful nonprofit in the United States, another $100,000 to Jack.org in Canada. Again, these are all lovely nonprofits. If you're ever interested in how you can support youth mental health locally, these are great people to look up. Um, but here in Australia as well, and then 30K pounds, I should say 30,000 pounds to the mix in the UK. And then as of a couple months ago, we actually just launched our newest arm in New Zealand called Youthline, and we granted them 25,000 New Zealand dollars as a kickstart as well. So it's been a really good shift to help ensure that these partners have the resources that they need now more than they ever have before. And despite it being such a difficult and unprecedented year, you know, we've done so much through our strategic partnerships and nonprofit partners. We've been able to advocate and support over 250,000 youth around the globe last year alone, which is really cool. And of course, we have our goal and a very lofty vision, as we like to do at Arbonne, to raise $10 million by 2030 and improve the mental well-being of a million youth by 2030 as well. Wow, that's incredible. And when you're selecting those uh, nonprofits, is there like a particular criteria that you're looking for? Or like, are there particular issues within mental health or... I'm just curious to learn more about that. Yeah, so these ones focus more on a broader mental health approach and how do you build resiliency? So how do you build tools for emotional coping? How do you support people if you're, you know, a family member of somebody suffering from mental health? And because of that, we really loved it because it helped each of these organizations organizations help build a community that helps build resilience. And so it was a really important part of determining for us is one, are they experts? Of course, because I'm not an expert in mental health. I don't have a psychological medical degree or anything like that. So we wanted to make sure that these were truly experts who understood why it happens. How do you address it? What are the tools that you need? We wanted to make sure they were educators helping to ensure that there is a spread of knowledge around things. Just like at Arbonne, we're trying to make sure that sustainable living comes to life. They need to be authentically doing this as well. And then from there, we really wanted to make sure that, um, you know, they represented each of the regions that we operated in well. So it was a very robust approach to say the least. I am not doing our director of the foundation enough credit in my, in my overview of it because it took a long time to select these partners. But now that we have them, we're so happy because 250,000 youth in one year is absolutely incredible. That is incredible. That is so great. I'm curious, what was the spark that inspired Arbonne to get involved with supporting mental health for youth? Like, was there a, a particular like moment or person or story that kind of led you down that path? You know, I think each of us have our own um, very unique experiences with mental health or having family members that had problems with it. And having that as a background always primes the pump, right? Just like I love the environment, so I went into sustainability as a career. It makes sense. So all of us kind of went into the context of how can we build a foundation that's going to be better, that's going to maximize impact, that aligns with sustainable, healthy living. And with all that being said, we needed to evolve the organization. You know, in the early years, we were doing grants, which was just not going to be conducive to creating a comprehensive impact, especially globally. So how do we figure out a way to make sure that our impact is consistent and is going to be impactful, ironically enough? And so that's when our fabulous foundation director put together this plan to create this larger impact by focusing on the mental health, by identifying these really strong partners in the region and tying it all into the case for sustainable, healthy living as well. So, you know, at Arbonne, we embrace the connection between the mind, the body and the skin. And that, and because of that, mental health really like stood out to us. It's important. Mind is mental health. Health is wealth. This is something that we all should be appreciating and focusing on and building communities of resilience around. And so for all of those reasons, we went all in on this mission as soon as we decided that this is the trajectory that was the future. And with COVID and digitization and, oh my gosh, expectations from social media that don't align with reality, this growing disconnection with nature, all of these societal pressures that are trickling down into mental health effects and really negative ones for a lot of cases and kids growing up in these environments where they think this is normal 
um, it became really even more abundantly clear to us that we were on the right track. I'm, I can't tell you how thankful I am that there was no Instagram or Facebook when I was growing up. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've shared that with my friends so many times. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> um, so as you mentioned earlier, Arbonne's been around for over 40 years now. And since its inception, it's been rooted in sustainability. How has that commitment over the past 40 years kind of manifested in the products and, and kind of how they get to customers today. Totally. So this is where I will default to my sustainability is a journey statement. Um, and I think that anyone in the corporate responsibility space understands that this is both the beauty and the curse that it's a journey because it never really is over and it requires a commitment to continually raise the bar as time progresses and other players start to catch up to sustainability and best practices. So you know, we started off our journey so strong as a first mover in clean beauty space, you know, requiring more from our product ingredients, helping protect the health of our customers. As I mentioned, our founder was European and was honestly just appalled by the lack of protection there was against toxic ingredients when he moved to America and founded this organization. Truly revolutionary 41 years ago, to say the least. But as time went on, you know, additional new global issues have emerged that have caused us to evolve our sustainability efforts, our sustainability strategy, it cannot just be focused on formulas anymore. That was a great start, but that's not just our future. It's the legacy. It's the core of our organization, but there's more that we need to do now because there's a lot more going on in the world now that we're aware of. So we've expanded our focus to transparency in our value chain, measuring the footprint of our operations, You know, obviously reducing those as well. How do we care for our customers? How do we protect the welfare of our employees? What does the packaging of our products look like? How do we distribute our products? So much more. It's really taking this holistic 360 degree view of sustainability and embedding it in throughout our organization, which ultimately trickles into our products, which ultimately trickles into the experience that our customer has as well. So as we look to the future, we've got some robust goals around reducing our plastic packaging footprint by 50% by 2025. Um, We also want to ensure that all of our product packaging aligns with the circular economy by that time, which is no easy feat in the beauty space, to say the least. Um, You know, these are two goals that are tremendously important in empowering our community to shift their consumption and mitigate globally pressing environmental issues in the meantime. And in addition, um, you know, some of the cool little things that we do that kind of provide an environmentally friendly more, I should say, a more environmentally friendly experience for our customers is that we ship all of our products directly to our customer's doorstep, but we offset these, especially for the majority of the markets that we operate in. It's our commitment to ship in the U.S. carbon-free transport. We want to make sure, because we don't have retail shops, we don't want to just shift that burden. And so part of the customer experience is not just, are we developing the best products? Is it the best formula? Has it been responsibly sourced? Is this the best packaging? But also by the time it gets to them, making sure that it's delivered in a way that's not just going to drive up carbon emissions as well. And it's kind of something that's a little bit more hidden in our business that we don't promote as much. But it's something that's exciting because it's part of that entire life cycle of our product. And speaking of life cycles, it really brings us to our Arbonne Cycle program, which I know you wanted to talk about as well today. Yeah, that was actually where where I was going to go next. I was curious uh, to talk about the Arbonne cycle, what exactly is it and how can customers participate? Of course. So, you know, that product life cycle is so important and the end of life component is really important as we're looking at issues like plastic waste and other types of pollution that are happening right now. And Arbonne cycle is our program in partnership with TerraCycle to recover our hard to recycle packaging components and divert them from a landfill. So the vast majority of our packaging can be recycled through typical curbside recycling worldwide, but we knew we wanted to do better than this for our customers and for the planet as well. So in 2019, we teamed up with TerraCycle to launch the program in the U.S. And then last year, we expanded it to all international markets. So any Arbonne customer can go on our website to the Arbonne cycle page, follow a few simple steps and basically get a label or an envelope to send back their package to us to ensure that it's responsibly disposed of. For some markets, you know, they reuse their shipping boxes, which is great because reduce, reuse, recycle in that order for a reason, right? Um, And others, they have to order a little bit of envelope, a little envelope to put their stuff in. Um, But either model, the most important part is that we make sure everything is recovered and repurposed. So they'll be turned into park benches or watering cans or anything other than just ending up in a life a landfill and really 
having no use for their end of life. Um, and to date, globally, we've recovered over 500,000 units of packaging since the program launched. And that means that 500,000 items have not been sent to a landfill and are not out there in the world contributing to global issues like plastic pollution. That is really cool. And I'm going to own, too, that I'm, I I consume a lot of the nutrition line. I'm curious, the, the protein... And this is kind of a more of a self-serving question, but I think other people might have this too. Uh, the the protein packaging, those bags, is that the TerraCycle? Is that the kind that, that we would ship back to Arbon? Okay. Exactly, exactly. So those are um, multi-laminate foil pouches. They are not recyclable through curbside recycling yet and probably not anytime in the future soon. So those are some of those key items that you want to send back to us. Okay, cool. And then is that the same as like the, I'm so sorry. I'm just so curious. Is that the same? It's the same as the fizz. The, the, yes, that's exactly where I was going is the fizz. That's, I don't like, I don't drink coffee. So fizz yes. is how I, you know, it's how I uh, get through my day sometimes. You got to get peppy sometimes, yeah, you, you just, know? You know, absolutely. <laughs> Helps with the focus for sure. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, so Arbon has some really exciting kind of goals that you touched on. Uh, that you're all working towards that I'd love to learn more about. But before we get into the goals ahead, can you share with us uh, some of the steps that Arbon has already taken to be more sustainable? I know you kind of touched on a few of them already. Oh, goodness. Where to start? I guess it's good to set the context behind our strategy first, which really was rooted in our B Corp assessment and a materiality assessment that we completed about the same time as well. These two exercises helped us understand where we had already stepped up in terms of you know, sustainability benchmarking and where we had opportunity for improvement. And as a direct result, we created our short and long-term sustainability goals and built out a path to achieve them with any strategy. It's really important that you put in place actions that build on each other. So you'll see that a lot of our shorter term goals are stepping stones to longer term goals. Um, some of the actions that we've taken so far are really centered on these stepping stone goals. So we've moved our UK office to renewable energy. We were really lucky on that site that um, we just had to deal with the electricity provider and find a new one that was locally sourced renewable on site or renewable wind energy because our heating technologies on site were already carbon neutral, which is very, very rare. Now, with that being said, we also are continuing with our carbon offsetting while we're working on reducing our emissions because you can't just offset to do better. I think that you need to work at the mitigation of it as well. It's really important not just to put a Band-Aid on the problem, but to address the problem at, at the systemic root of it. Um, where you're leveraging our zero waste best practices at our headquarters and distribution center to be able to apply them to other sites. We launched Arbon Cycle, of course, which is going great with those 500,000 units already being recovered and counting. Um, we're making shifts into more renewable packaging. So glass, aluminum, other things that aren't going to end up as waste in the world. Uh, for instance, we just launched our hair care line last month in aluminum bottles. And the coolest part about it is not just the aluminum bottles, but we launched them with fully recyclable pumps. And that doesn't sound like much, but pumps are something that's really hard to recycle because it's often made of different types of plastic materials, depending on the part. You'll have a little ball in there that's metal. You'll have a little, um, you know, a little spring in there that's metal as well. And for all of these reasons, it's a multi-material item that can't be recycled even and nobody's going to take the time to separate it let's get real and so these pumps were something that I was so excited about and so proud of because they're all made from one material so they are one of the very few fully recyclable pumps out there on the market in existence like ever out of everyone <laughs> which is really exciting that is so cool and I had no idea I'd never thought about kind of soap pumps like that, but that's, that's a, that's a great point. Totally. And then, you know, in addition to that, we did release our latest sustainability report. Um, it's filled with all sorts of these types of actions and more commitments, case studies for success that we've encountered along the way. And it also covers a more in-depth look at how we operationalize sustainability through our sustainability compass, you know, the ways that we show up for employees, such as days off to reconnect with nature and volunteer, English as a second language courses, and all of the other ways that we ensure we have an equitable and environmentally friendly culture internally. So there's been a lot of work on it. There's always a lot more to do. 
It's a journey, which is a blessing and a curse because it's never over, but you always have to celebrate the little wins along the way. Absolutely. Uh, You mentioned something in there about carbon neutral heat. I'm curious, how does that work? Is that heat pumps with like solar power or or I'm just curious to learn more about that? You know, they just don't use natural gas in the UK for the most part, which is very interesting. It's just a regional difference compared to the US. And so they're looking at electricity for heating. They're looking at other things that leverage current infrastructures. So nothing too fancy, but a win for us to say the least. And, and you have, speaking of goals and in, in the future, you have a goal of, of using all renewable energy across locations by 2022. And you have offices in the US, Canada, Europe, and Australia, as you mentioned earlier. How are you navigating those transitions, especially on this global scale? And do you have any advice for other businesses that are perhaps working towards similar goals and, and facing similar challenges? Yeah. So one one little correction, our goals for renewable electricity across all sites, because living in America, I think that, you know, natural gas is something that we might see a departure from in the future, but not in the immediate future, to say the least. So we are focusing on our electricity footprint, which is a large part of scope one and two emissions, obviously. So we gave ourselves two years to accomplish this goal because we knew it would take that long to figure out all the intricacies needed for each of these markets that we operate in. Each location faces its own unique challenges in this goal. We don't own any of our locations. So in many of our locations, we actually have to work hand in hand with our landlords to make these changes. And that can take an extra time. It's an extra layer of stakeholder involvement and approvals needed for these things to move forward. And so for the locations where we do get to choose our utility provider, we have a lot more control, a lot more flexibility, dependent on what's available in the region, of course. But renewable electricity is becoming more and more available. It's like every year you hit a new high of you know, installations, it's a new low in terms of pricing and cost efficiency, and it's a quickly evolving business case to go green in regions. So it's a really exciting time for renewable energy because that is evolving so quickly, it's going to make it easy on businesses to shift to that. Um, So like I said, last year, we moved our UK office to a locally based and locally sourced renewable energy provider, and it actually ended up saving us money. It was cheaper to move to renewable energy than to stick with the same one that we had before, which is a sign of the times, a really exciting sign of the times. So now these situations, of course, don't exist everywhere, but when they do exist, it's exciting. And and these things should become more available in the future. And then for our locations, you know, that we can't put on site technologies like solar in place, we're working with our utility providers to at least opt into their green energy programs. We're located in Southern California. We have our manufacturing plant down here. We have our headquarters and distribution center here. And we're really lucky to have utility providers and a strong renewable energy grid in this region that allows us to opt in just through our utility provider, which is as simple as clicking a button online. And then we've been using renewable energy provided by them instead of the normal mix. So it makes it so it's a lot more convenient You're using the regional power grid, you're using the technologies, but you're still incentivizing the change to move to more renewable energy in the region. Um, And even our Midwest distribution center now has a regional clean energy supplier, which wasn't in existence two years ago. So it's really cool to see how quickly this is evolving. There are so many new options coming. Just keep your eyes out locally for each of those those locations that you do have at your organization, because it is gonna be a little bit of a different process but it's easier now than it ever has been before. Um, And if all of that seems a bit overwhelming, you can always look at the last ditch approach of renewable energy credits, which are a bit similar to carbon credits where they're offsetting in the sense it's not gonna change what's happening on your site, but you will be at least purchasing credits to help support other locations that are generating uh, renewable energy elsewhere on the grid. That's great. And thank you for that. Uh, Something that you mentioned earlier was the goal of having 100% of your products meet the circular economy, which is super cool. Can you talk a bit about the plan you've laid out to accomplish that and what changes people can expect to see in the products and packaging as you work towards those goals? Yeah. So a lot of that is shifting away from these multi-material packages, right? So pumps is one where we've identified an alternative that works and that's in existence. So we're going full force with that. We're looking at that for all sorts of sizes across our business and all sorts of applications as well. You'll see us shifting a lot more towards renewable materials. And this makes sense not only from a sustainability perspective, but from an ecotoxicity perspective as well. Glass and metal don't 
leach chemicals, which is great because that aligns with our entire philosophy to protect consumers from, you know, toxic things out there in the world. So it's a really important intersection between our mission and the way that we want to protect our customers and sustainability. And I think it's a good reminder that all of these things are actually tied together. Sustainable, healthy living is dependent on a sustainable, healthy planet. And so how can we achieve our mission if we're not taking care of the environment as well? So you'll see a lot more glass. You'll see a lot more aluminum. Um, you'll see a lot of other fun things coming that I can't share out yet either. But do keep your eyes peeled because they'll be coming quickly. And, you know, we're going to have a very interesting new product portfolio by 2025 that's going to reflect these evolving needs and reflect you know, stronger products, in my opinion, as well. That is so cool. Uh, speaking of kind of to that end, um, I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but in my excitement, I saw that you all had, uh, you'd launched a line of, of scoops, like the stainless steel reusable scoops. And uh, I totally, you know, I'm, I'm a, obviously as host of this show and, and big believer in the planet and people and all the things I, I was excited to, to purchase my scoops. Uh, is there a time in the future where, you know, when we go to purchase the, the, the different products or protein, you can opt for them to come without the plastic scoop if you've already purchased those reusable stainless steel ones? Have you been sitting in on our innovation meetings, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm obviously kidding, but you bring up such an important point, which is giving consumers the option to opt into certain things, especially as we're offering you know, more reusable items and shifting to this mindset of reusability and which obviously aligns with the circular economy. Um, so, you know, we are going to be looking at that expanding things like that, um, the cool metal scoops and everything beyond that. But we're also looking at other things like alternative materials for the single use scoops. So how could we make them compostable? How can we make them derived of natural materials that you could put in your compost and it's actually going to help you feed your soil? How can you build that into a regenerative um, economy? How do you build that into a regenerative ecosystem in your yard? So there's so much more on the horizon for this, um, but it is a delicate balance because it's a shift that demands great communication with your customers for success, especially when you're given something before every single time and now you have to retrain behavior. Perhaps it's an opt-in, perhaps it's a more sustainable option, perhaps it's a opt-out, who knows? But either way, I know that communication is gonna be really crucial as we embark on that, that next step moving forward. And I promise there will be a lot more on that in the coming months. Awesome, I look, I look forward to it for sure. Uh, now, as we mentioned earlier, you have an extensive background in sustainability and, and corporate responsibility. What is some advice you have for other businesses looking to make improvements in sustainability and, and corporate responsibility? Yeah, I think I think the best advice is, um, you know, it's a journey, which I've already said, <laughs> but also you have to start somewhere. Um, I say this because it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the amount of work that needs to be done. And it's really easy to become paralyzed by fear when you look at the state of the world around us, when you look at the state of our communities around us. Um, you know, with every new piece of scientific information that's released, it seems to indicate that global pollution issues are worse than we previously thought. And it's really easy to get caught in the gloom and doom of it all. And, and, and when you're caught in that state, you're not proactive. You're not making change. So how do you build, how do you channel that into efficacy? How do you channel that into proactivity? And the way that you do that is by starting somewhere. Find a focus, a point of interest, a thing to benchmark and just do it well. Find a way to measure it against stakeholder welfare, set goals once you've understood where you currently are at, and then, of course, attribute that to where you want to go. Uh, one way to do this, which, of course, I have to say, is to check out the B Impact Assessment, which is that measurement tool for B Corporations. It is completely free, which I don't think people understand. It is the most equitable resource out there, and that B Lab has designed it to be free so anyone can take it. It is a free education resource um, that really helps you understand stakeholder welfare means, how it comes to life through business. It will provide you with examples of case studies, best practices, and even templates to work from when you're looking at implementing these things within your organization. It's the best free sustainability education that I have ever received. And it completely opened my mind to the ways that business should be holding themselves accountable. And again, it's free. You can get this for free. You don't have to pay for it. So no matter what you choose to do, just remember to start somewhere and to start. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Let's get moving. I love that. I love that. And speaking of the B Impact Assessment, I'm curious, uh, 
what was kind of, as you worked through the B impact assessment for, uh, for Arbon, what were some of the biggest challenges that, that came out of that process? You know, I think it's, it's something that will not be unique to multinationals, but it's how do you aggregate data across so many sites? It's accurate. How do you figure out that you're measuring one thing in one location, the same in another location, which really is this opportunity to build community within your organization and to build collaboration towards being solution oriented and finding processes that work for everyone. So it was a very collaborative experience to say the least, which it should always be no matter what the nature of your organization is. But it was also really difficult for us to to kind of unpack some of the questions and some of them, you know, and this is very common for all businesses, you just will never answer. You just don't know the answer to them and that's okay, but you know, you need to use it as a tool to focus your efforts to understand where you do want to make that impact and what aligns with your with your mission and your vision for the future as well. And what do you think was was the most rewarding thing that came out of it? Did what did did going through the assessment impact any of the things that you're currently doing at Arbon? Yeah, I mean, it the impact assessment was instrumental in our path for the future and I think that is the most rewarding part of it is that you get to benchmark to be better. You get to set your strategy. You get to understand where you are just going above and beyond and where you are just not showing up for you know social welfare, for environmental welfare, for stakeholder welfare. And so it was really exciting for us to get certified because you know there are not that many multinationals certified. So that alone was a huge win. And then the ability for us to use it as a strategy development tool for continual improvement, almost like an environmental management system is how we view it. So it is just something that, you know, you have to recertify every three years, but I'm looking at the assessment every single day and understanding how, oh, we expanded our customer warranty to 90 days. How is that impacting B Corp? All of these things have become guideposts and benchmarks for us and how we determine how to take care of stakeholders. And to me, that's really exciting that we have such high standards for our organization. Yeah, that's really, that's really great. And I, I think we had a similar experience. We we just submitted and we're pending right now and it, we just learned so much. It really does kind of help set you up for success, which is great. Um, I do have a question from the audience here. Uh, Libby from Maine asks, does does being a network marketing company make corporate social responsibility any easier since you have a close working relationship with the field and their clients? If so, or if not, could you explain? Well, Libby is on to something. We have a captive audience, which is really great because it doesn't mean, you know, we know who we're talking to. We know what they like. Um, there aren't as many challenges to ensuring clarity and messaging but overall, it's just such a strength to be able to know your audience and to speak directly to them. So what an incredible relationship to have, an incredible opportunity to educate on sustainability topics and create an even bigger impact through how we go, how we run our business, how we go to market and everything in between. Um, I have one really cool example of how we bring this to life that I'd like to share, which is actually how we're partnering with the field to gamify giving back and acts of altruism. Um, we partnered up with another B Corp because B Corp should work with B Corps. So that's just a really, I believe that very, very wholeheartedly. Um, and we partnered up with this other really wonderful B Corp called Social with an XO. And um, we created this thing called the Flourishing for the Future Award, which is an annual field award that our consultants will receive mainstay recognition for at our annual conference, which is a big deal for us. And it actually is this array of challenges that help us all create a positive impact that's going to help our stakeholders flourish for the future. So there are challenges related to sustainable, healthy living, reconnecting to nature, which happens to be our parent company's mission, and all of these other ways to bring sustainability to life for them every day. And they, they go to go online and submit their own challenges. And then we actually measure it and relate it back to the UN SDGs, as well as the stakeholder pillars of our sustainability compass. So now we're partnering with the field to enact change that's being measured against the UN SDGs, which is so cool to me because now I get to see how they bring this to life every single day and what an incredible pool of creativity to be able to draw from and to learn from. Because even though I live and work and dream this every single day, there are two heads are always better than one, right? So to see what they come up with is so amazing. And it's just such a fun way for us to engage with the field, educate on the things that we're passionate about as an organization and to partner together to be the best company for the world.
time to level up through action and impact. This segment is meant to provide you with ways you can get involved in a local and global level with one challenge mentioned in the episode. You can do all of what follows or choose your own adventure. If it feels overwhelming, I'm encouraging you to listen for one action in the following listed actions to give a try. If we all make even the smallest of changes, you would be amazed at how it can ripple out. Arbonne's Flourish Foundation focuses on mental well-being for youth around the globe. In addition to supporting the foundation, the following are some ways you can help support the mental well-being of youth. The following list comes from the CDC. What is most critical to adolescents' well-being is that they feel connected with healthy bonds and relationships with adults and peers. Some steps you can take to help foster a sense of connectedness and support the kiddos and youth in your life are as follows. Communicate openly and honestly, including about your values. Spend time with them doing activities you both enjoy and be present. Put those phones away. Support them in facilitating healthy decision-making by guiding them through how to weigh potential outcomes and consequences. Get involved with their school through volunteering or supporting their school projects. Help with homework and support their interests and passions. Communicate regularly with their teachers and school administrators. Attend community events or volunteer with them for causes you both care about. If you don't have any kiddos in your life, support your local nonprofits that support youth. Donate to an after-school program like the Boys and Girls Club in your area or volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters to become a mentor for a kiddo. The other big thing we can all do is work to destigmatize mental illness and promote mental wellness. This means supporting people in your life to seek mental health therapy, seeking it yourself, and encouraging those around us to ask for help. What's the best way to do that? Ask for help yourself. It invites others who care about you to support you and creates a space where they feel more comfortable coming to you when they need help. For more tips, see the show notes at responsiblydifferent.com. And if you are looking for support, you can call the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also known as NAMI, N-A-M-I, at 800-950-NAMI or text NAMI to 741 Seven four one. Thank you so much for tuning in. To learn more about Arbon and ways you can level up, visit the show notes at responsiblydifferent.com. Next time on Responsibly Different, I chat with the founder of Shopping Gives. Enable everybody to really democratize impact and enable every retailer of any size to get back to any 501c3, no matter where they are, how much they want to give, removing the barriers of entry for this giving economy so that any retailer can really engage with any nonprofit. Any nonprofit is not prohibited to partner with these retailers of any size. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Deergo Collective. Claire Clausen is our project manager. Jeremy Glass is our writer. The music is an original score by our very own Kevin Oates. And I, Ben Marine, am your host and editor. To learn more about Dirgo Collective, visit dirgocollective.com.